Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Hey everybody, um, it's the last weekend of December. How many of you guys have any New Year's resolutions? Anybody? 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 Nobody? Yes, a couple. Um, I'm glad most of you don't. I hate New Year's resolutions. They're the stupidest things ever. Um, I, and you want to know what, why I mostly hate New Year's resolutions? January at the Y. Oh my word, I want to punch everybody. Because here's the thing, you know, I go, I go, you know, three times a week or so to swim, and I go in the morning, and I go at about seven o'clock, and it's, it's wonderful. I get there, I do my thing, there's always lots of lanes open, I do my thing, I go to work, I, I'm ready to go. Then January comes, and I just want to hurt everyone. Because, you know, actually it wasn't even that long ago that I heard a, a fight in the locker, like I thought there was going to be an actual fist fight in the locker room, and here's what it was over, space on the bench in the locker room. A guy wouldn't move his stuff, and so the other guy started talking about taking him out. I kid you not. I hate January, and I feel a little, honestly, I feel a little superior. You know what I'm saying? Like I, all these new people coming in to the gym, and I think you guys are just bandwagon. You're just you're just New Year's people. And I get I get this like judgy thing because because truthfully I've been I've been you know consistently doing this thing for like eight weeks or so. Um, don't judge me as I judge them, uh, <laughs> but I hate January at the Y because I hate New Year's. Resolutions, because the truth is, resolutions are nothing. Resolve is everything. Resolutions are the thing that we hope, wish, dream, maybe someday this thing will happen. Resolve is the thing that actually gets us there. There's a lot of people with a lot of resolutions and no resolve to back them up. And, um... And, and, and the truth is, uh, we only get the resolve to back them up when, we, when the thing that we want to do is so important that we are willing to push through, to do whatever it takes, to, to get past our laziness or whatever obstacle is in front of us to make the thing happen. That is resolve. And i got to be honest with you, my resolve for going to the why is, is not a great re- reason for Resolve. I, my resolve for going to the Y 100% is fear. I'm not kidding. Um, in October, you might not know this, I am diabetic. In October, I went for my yearly checkup and my blood work came back and I was like, oh no, that's bad news. And it reminded me, oh yeah, you've been terrible for a year. And I, you know, I kind of slap in the face and I'm like, okay, I better do something about this. And, um, and so I, you know, started going back to the Y and I started swimming and I started eating right, eating better. And, you know, so I've been doing it for a couple of months, but it's not because I'm like this disciplined guy. It's not because I want this like super trim cut body because I don't care. Um, it's because, it's because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what life will look like if I don't take care of myself. And so my resolve is more about fear 
than it is about anything else. But the truth is resolve can come from a lot of different places. And it can be aimed at a lot of different things. And, um, and you know, there's no possible, millions of different things. There's no possible way for us to, to talk about everything that's worth our resolve. But that for the next four weeks, we're going we're gonna to dig into a few things. Things that are worth our resolve. And, uh, and today I want to I talk about um, just one of them. And, it's, and it's, it's gonna, we're going to be led into it by a, a story in the book of Joshua. Now, um, I kind of want to throw you back into the Old Testament where we're going to grab this story so that you can have sort of an understanding of the place uh, that we find it. Um, this, you guys remember when the children of Israel were in Egypt, slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and then God raises up Moses to lead them out of slavery, and he does, does the 10 plagues. Maybe you've seen the movies. Um, anyway, so, so they come out of Egypt, they go off, and they're going to go to where? Where are they going to? The promised land. They're on their way to the promised land. Right? God says, I have this land. I've got it set aside for you. You are going to get there, and it's going to be amazing. You are going to find rest in your promised land. And so that's what they do. And they, they walk through the wilderness for a little bit. They get to the promised land, and they are petrified. They're petrified of the people who already live there. And God says, you know what? You're not ready. And so he makes them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. 400 years in slavery, 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And at the end of 40 years, after an entire generation has died off, God is thinking it's time. It's time to go back to the promised land. But he also, before he does that, he wants to make a change in leadership. And so we actually step in to our story today at a moment when Israel, the children of Israel, change leadership. You have Moses who has led them through this entire thing. Moses who talks to God and people trust him and they know that he is speaking for God. And, and so you, after, after all of this time now, it's time for Moses to let go. But he's had this, he's had this right-hand man, this person that has done all of this with him and he's brought him along with him and, and Joshua is going to take over for, for Moses. And that's the, the moment that we find ourselves in this story. But it's kind of interesting because I want to take just a pause here for a second. Because that, um, that moment is, is parallels a moment that we have in our church right now. Um, uh, now, for those of you guys who don't know, my name's Eric. I've been our campus pastor here um, at our Janesville campus for the last five plus years. And it has been my honor to lead this campus over all that time. Um, but the truth is, most of you guys know that uh, we've been working toward this for a while. But um, today, this weekend, marks a turning point in the leadership at our church. I, I have new responsibilities that I'm super excited about. I'm not going anywhere. Don't worry. I'll still be around here on Sunday morning. You'll still, still see me quite a bit here. Um, but I, I'm going to be taking over as executive pastor. We have a, a, a multi-site church. And so I'm going to be taking over as executive pastor where I oversee the staff at all of our campuses. Um, but here's what I'm most excited about. I'm most excited that God has been preparing us for this for a lot of years. Three, plus, three and a half years ago, um, we started talking to Kellen Anderson about coming on staff as an associate pastor here in, in Janesville. I had no idea that this executive pastor thing was ever going to be on the horizon, but God did. God knew from, right from the very beginning. And he's been preparing us as a congregation. He's been preparing Kellen as a leader. And, um, and here's what I know. We've got three and a half years together, and um, we've worked 
really closely together for the last three and a half years. And it's hard for me to admit, but I like him. And he's actually become one of my best friends. And, um, but more than that, I'm, I, I believe in him. You know, I, you, you work with somebody all day, every day for, for three years, and you get to know him, and you realize, I, I got to tell you, I realize this guy is the real deal. I mean, his heart, his relationship with God, his heart for people who are poor, needy, his heart for our church, his heart for students. I just, I can't say enough about him. Really what it comes down to is I am, I am absolutely fully convinced that he is in this place at this time because God saw this coming a whole long time ago. He is, he's more than qualified to take over. He's got, are you 15 years in ministry now? I don't know. Some ridiculous, he does barely looks 15 years old. But <laughs> yeah, I had to get one in, Kellen. I had to get one in. Um, but I, I am, I'm super excited about the next chapter in the life of our church. And I thought this, as we study Joshua and um, Moses, I thought what a perfect opportunity to bring Kellen up here. Come on up here. To bring him up here and together, I'd like to pray a prayer of commissioning and blessing over him and his life. Because um, while he is totally qualified, while he's got tons of gifts and he's way better at a lot of things than I am, um, it's so true. I got a couple things. I got a couple things. Um, While all that's true, it really doesn't matter. What matters is whether the Holy Spirit is on him. Because as a leader, you can make all the right decisions, but if the Holy Spirit isn't leading you and guiding you, you got nothing. And so I want to ask as a church, as a congregation, that we together would pray a prayer of commissioning over Kellen, pray the Holy Spirit over him. So if this doesn't freak you out, I'm going to ask you to just kind of reach your hand out like you're going to lay hands on him. If it does freak you out, don't worry about it. You can like look at us like we're super weird because we are. But if you would do that as we pray over Kellen, Father in heaven, I am so grateful for this friend of mine. I'm grateful that you put him here at this time for this place because you know what the next season looks like in, in the life of this campus and our church Nothing comes as a surprise to you. But God, our, our prayer isn't that he's smart. Our prayer isn't that he makes good choices. Our prayer is that he follows you. Our prayer is that your Holy Spirit would fill him up from the tips of his toes to the top of his head. God, would you lead him and guide him? Would you lead him into all wisdom so that as we follow him as a campus, that you you would be directing every step that we take. We love you. We put him, him in your hands and our church in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll even give you a second side hug. This is two side hugs, one weekend. I don't do hugs, just so you know. Hugs are my thing. Um, yeah, you can, let's, let's give him a round of applause, would you just, not because he's great, but because God's good. All right. Okay, back to the story. Moses and Joshua. They, the, the children of Israel have come back to the promised land. They've been wandering for 40 years. They come back to the promised land. Joshua takes over as leader, and it is time. God says, it's time. Go take what, we pro- what I promise you. Go take possession of the land that I promised you. And here's, what, here's how it, uh, it says it in Joshua chapter 1, verse 10. It says, so Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. 
Three days from now, you're going to cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. The day was finally here. After being promised this land, after this gigantic, enormous promise that has gone unfulfilled for 40 years, now the day is here. And as we talk about promise, I, um, I just am reminded over and over how important the promises of God are to me. Um, I, there are times when my life feels out of control and I feel like all I've got to hold on to are the promises of God. Um, my, there were times, uh, you know, there was a time in our life that was really hard. And you guys, a lot of you, most of you guys know my Ashley. Uh, Ashley is my daughter. She's 19 years old. She's stinking fantastic. Um, I mean, just in so many ways, she's an unbelievable young woman. And she's been with us for 11 years. She was adopted from Haiti. And, um, and like I said, she's just, she's super fun to be here. We were like hanging around each other, our whole family, all week this week. And we were like, this is the most time we've spent together in months and months. We actually like each other. It's kind of fun. But anyway, so, um, so she's fantastic now. But I got to tell you, when she got home from Haiti, it was hard. I mean, it was, it was worse than hard. It was, there were four years that were pretty awful. I'm, and when I say awful, I just mean every day was just a battle. Every day was pain. Every day. I, w- I remember I would drive home from work, and I would have to stop at the little floodplain turnoff on Milwaukee Road in Beloit on my way home because I would have to get myself ready. And I remember I, there, were, there were days where I would, actually, and I would actually be shedding tears, and I would say, God, I ruined my family. Like, we had this nice little family. There were three of us. And we brought this other person in, and now it's destroyed. And I remember I would, I'd be in that place, and I'd be kind of getting myself ready to go home to whatever mess was at home that day. And, uh, and I remember all I had to hold on to was God told me to do this. I remember the moment that God said, this is your daughter. I was in Haiti. Little girl sits in my lap. Very few times in my life has God spoken to me. Little girl sits in my lap and God says, this is your daughter. And so I would look back on that and I would say, God, I don't don't know how we're going to get through this. I don't know why you ruined my family, but all I've got is the promise that you said she's my daughter. And that's all I had. That's all, and it had to be enough. But there have been times in my life where all I've got is the promise of God to hold on to. And so, and it, it, it gets a little broader than that. And I learned that the promises of God were something that I could hold on to when life got really bad. And so I, I memorized some of them. And I, I have a few of my favorite of God's promises that I'm just going to share with you a little bit. But for me, here are some of my favorites of God's promises. Deuteronomy he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right before this little story that we're in, literally the verse before we just read, as Joshua's taking control, taking leadership of Israel, God says to him, do not be afraid. Oh man, you ever, have you ever been petrified? Like just afraid. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. One of, one of the ones that a lot of you guys have um, memorized comes from Jeremiah 29. For the, I know the plans I have to, for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And this last one's actually my favorite one. It's whenever something's really hard, 
Whenever I'm going through something that really is tough, um, this is the one that I love to hold on to. It's in the book of Isaiah. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And I got to tell you, when I read these scriptures, because I know what they've meant in my life, they give me all the feels. You know, like they, they give me the warm fuzzies because I know when my anxiety is here, you know, at like 9.6, I know that there, is only, there are only a few things that can ground me in my anxieties. And the promises of God are, the, are some of the few things that can take me. They, the promises of God, I have, I have measured it. They literally, physically, actually change my heart rate. If I can meditate on the truth of the promises of God in my life, when life is at its worst, my life changes. But here's the other thing I've learned. That in focusing on God's promises for me, I think sometimes I get a little too focused on what those promises mean to only me. Because I believe God's promises are bigger than just making me feel better in a moment. And I want to get to that. Um, but I want, to, I want to jump back into our story here. And before we move on to the part that I think is really important for us today, when we talk about the resolve that, that uh, Joshua is going to ask of his people, um, before we get to that, you, we got to look at a map. You guys up for a map? Let's look at a map. Um, this right here is a map of the promised land. This is before they ever went into the promised land, before they ever crossed the Jordan River, Moses made this map and he divvied out to each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So the nation of Israel broken up into 12 tribes. He divvied out to each of the 12 tribes certain areas that they would take in the promised land. Makes sense, right? Everybody gets their share. Now, I want you to notice down, sort of down the middle of the map, a little bit uh, to the east, is a river, and that's the Jordan River. Now, if you are picturing, because it's like a biblical river, you know, like it's this, maybe it's a, a river of biblical proportions. Don't think the Mississippi River. Think a little bit more like the Turtle Creek after a rain. That's what the, I'm not kidding, that's what the Jordan River looks like, all right? So it's not like this gigantic river, it's, it's more like a creek. And they've, they've camped, did you notice where it said they've camped? They've camped east of the Jordan River. And I want you to notice that where they were camping east of the Jordan River is actually territory that was promised to three tribes. You see that? The tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. And so you're going to understand, having seen that, they, they're camped east of the Jordan. West of the Jordan is all territory that is occupied by the Canaanites, the people they got to take it from. But east, they're already there. And so that's why you can, you're going to understand when we get into this last part of the first chapter of Joshua, you're going you're to understand what he's saying. And, and so let's move into that. He says, Joshua, but to the Reubenites... The Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, remember, Reuben, Gad, Manasseh, to them, Joshua said, I got to have this little conversation with you. 
He said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you can go back and occupy your own land which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. And then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Do you understand? Put that map back up, would you? Sorry. Um, Do you understand where they were? There were three tribes out of the 12, well, two and a half tribes out of the 12 who were already in their promised land. Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh were already in their promised land. They hadn't had to do anything. They're already there. And if I'm in the tribe of Gad, I might be thinking, wow, this is a great place. Look, my family's here. We've been camped out here. We've even started growing some crops here. You know, it's, uh, we're, we could build some cities. It could be really nice to just kind of stick. You know, you know, Joshua, now is not a really good time for me. They could have done that. They were already in their promised land, but, but they didn't. They said, whatever you've commanded us, we're going to do. Wherever you tell us to go, we're going to go. Because they understood the promise. They had been waiting for the promise. I mean, the promise was like deep down inside of them. They, they knew what God had promised. And here's what it was. Joshua had just reminded them of it. Here's what he said. The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Do you notice that land wasn't the goal? We always think the goal is promised land. But the reality is that the promised land was only a means to get what? Rest. God will give you rest by giving you this land. The truth is, the Israelites had never known rest. 400 years in slavery. 40 years wandering in the desert wandering, every time having to get up and move so that their flocks can graze somewhere else, setting up the tent all over again, going to find water all over again. How are we going to do it this time? Where are we going to set up our, our tent this time? Kids. You ever take kids camping? Ugh! And that's life for 40 years. God says, I will give you rest. And so the promise that these Israelites have been holding on to, I want you to understand that it's actually, it's actually two kinds of a promise. It's one promise that's lived out in two ways. The first way is that the promise to them was individual. Every single Israelite, every single person, one of God's people, could hold on to the promise that God had given them. Ooh, we lost it. That's all right. Don't worry about it. Uh, Bob, thanks. Um, 
every, I, I want to get back to this point because it matters. Every single person, every single Israelite who had spent their 40 years waiting for the promised land. I, I can't imagine what it must have been like for moms to think it is not always going to be like this. It's not, we're not always going to be wandering through the desert. We're not always going to be having to find water a different way. Eating the same food every day, manna, for 40 years. It's not always going to be like this. And so each one of them personally could hold on to their, the promise that things will be different. But the promise wasn't just personal. The promise was also collective. It wasn't just that each person would get some land. It was that the nation of Israel would get rest. All of them, every single person. It was both a personal promise and a collective promise. And I want you to understand that the same thing is true for you and me. You know, I talk about all these promises that I like to hold on to, that I, that I think help me when I have anxiety. All of these promises that really matter to me. I, I, I like to talk about them. I like to, to think about how they affect me. But the truth is, every promise God has made to me or to you, he has also made to everybody else. It is not just a personal promise. It is also a collective promise. Every good gift that God has given to you, he has offered to everybody else. You see, it would be easy to be content on the east side of the Jordan. If you were these guys, if you were a part of Gad or Manasseh or Reuben, it would be easy to be content on the east side of the Jordan. But God says to these people, it is not yet time to rest. It's not yet time to rest. The same thing is true for you and me. It would, it would be easy to be content in our salvation. Oh, man. God, thank you so much for the cross. And I'm just going to hold on to that and just wait until heaven. It would be super easy to be content in the cross. But God says it is not yet time to rest. It would be super easy to be content now that we have found joy and peace and hope in the Holy Spirit. It would be super easy to stay content in that. But God says it is, it is not yet time to rest. It would be tempting when we find the goodness of God to turn inward and to protect ourselves. But it is not yet time to rest. There's a guy, I, don't, I didn't know that this is who said it, but a guy named Warren Zavon said, I'll rest when I'm dead. I love that. It's fantastic. I mean, it's super messed up. But actually, it's pretty true. Because the reality is, if we are following Jesus, if we have salvation, if we have that gift, the truth is we will have all eternity to rest we can rest when we're dead. We might, have, we might be on the east of the Jordan and we may have experienced the, our, our own promised land that God is taking us to. But the truth is, it is not time to rest. And I got it before, 
Before I go any further, I got to give a little disclaimer. I don't believe this means you can never take a spiritual breather. You know what I mean? Sometimes life, ministry, everything else comes down on us, and we need to take time away to build ourselves back up before we go back out and, and do the work that God has called us to do. Please don't think. But there is a, different, a difference between taking a spiritual breather and settling in to life in our own promised land on the east side of the Jordan. There's a difference. And so, Joshua says, you can leave your ladies and you can leave your kids in your promised land, but all your fighting men, here's what he says, all your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You have been given rest. Now it's time to go fight for rest for somebody else. You have been given your promised land. Now it's time to go get it for somebody else. See, I think it's also a reminder that we are not fighting against anybody. We are fighting for them. We fight for rest for people who don't even know yet that they need it. And so here is Joshua's call for resolve. Not a New Year's resolution, but something worth, worthy of our resolve. And if you've been sleeping, this is like the point. So wake up, all right? Here's what Joshua calls us to. Be willing to leave rest in your own promised land to, find, to fight for rest for somebody else. Be willing to leave the rest east of the Jordan to fight for rest for somebody else. And um, man, there's a million ways you can do that. I, I, I want to I suggest five things that you could do. If, that's, if, if you are resolved, that you say, man, I have been living east of the Jordan, and let's be honest, I'm making a pretty comfortable life over here. Feels kind of nice. I go to Bible study, you know, I, I do my church thing, and then I take care of myself and my family, and life's good. But if you're resolved that it's not enough, that it is not yet time to rest, here are a, a few suggestions of what I'd like to just say, some ways that you, can, that you can get up off your butt and cross the Jordan. Number one, go on a mission trip. Okay, I know you're thinking, yeah, my kid should do that. That's a great plan. I'm saying you. Now, if you grew up in the church, you've probably been on a mission trip. Great. But I'm telling you, as adults, we think mission trip, I, what does that even mean? Like, I'm talking about a short-term mission trip. I'm saying get out, of, get out of whatever it is that you do. Get out of yourself and go serve somebody. Go someplace you don't know where, what you're doing. Go someplace you're scared of. Go someplace that you are going to be completely awkward and uncomfortable around. Because it's, it's about leaving your nice, comfy, promised land to go and serve somebody else. I had a conversation with, I was having breakfast, just Ashley and me, um, a couple weeks ago. She said, I'm thinking about going on a mission trip. I'm like, yes! Yes, you should do that. And I said, don't go to Haiti. You know, she's from Haiti. I said, don't go to Haiti. Go somewhere you don't know anybody or anything. Go somewhere that's gonna take you outside of yourself. Go. And I'm saying, 
Adults, I know. I got kids. I can't do it. I got whatever. I can. You can take a vacation. Found out how to do that. Go. Go do something. Get out of your regular every day. That's one possibility. Okay, this one's a little more accessible. <laughs> Secondly, here's another way that you can cross the Jordan and go fight for somebody else's rest. Invite somebody over for dinner who's different than you. Maybe they're a different socioeconomic level. Maybe they are a different race from you. Maybe they are a different religion from you. And this is not about like invite them over so you can share the love of Jesus with them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying, open up your home. Because your, your home is such a, a restful place, isn't it? You're, if it's not, I'm sorry. But in general, our home is, is this place that's content. And opening it up to somebody who's different or weird or difficult or, or awkward, I'm going to guess that the conversation starts awkward. Giving up the nice, easy comfort of home for the sake of allowing somebody else some rest in your home. It's small. Let go of your own comfort to give it to somebody else. That's two. Number three, spend time with the weird guy at work. You know who I'm talking about. And if you don't, you're him. I'm kidding. Um, no, I'm not sexist. There's also weird girls at work. Um, spend time with him. Go to lunch with a guy. Ask him about that thing that you know he's obsessed with, and it's going to start a conversation that's going to go on for a half an hour. You know what I'm talking about? And you don't care about any of it. I was actually right. I wrote this down. And then, of course, thank you, Lord, that he gave me, God gave me an opportunity to live this out. And so I had this conversation literally the afternoon after I wrote this down, and I'm like, I'm like thinking, Oh, this is it. Okay. All right. Okay. And so I just kept asking questions. Somebody was, but here's the thing. This person was, was absolutely just engaged. I mean, she was absolutely in just everything about her. Her whole demeanor lit up when somebody was willing to talk to her about the thing nobody else wants to hear about because she's annoying. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's about letting go of our own comfort and and being willing to live in the awkward for the sake of somebody else's rest. Number four, uh, another, just remember, these are just a list of things, ways that you can cross the Jordan, go fight for somebody else's rest, leave your rest, go fight for theirs. Number four, sacrifice something that brings you comfort for the comfort of somebody else. Um, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes I think God's like, hey, how about you bring some of that will to earth, right? Maybe you, you have an opportunity, you give up an evening or a day or whatever, and you, you serve it as, at a homeless shelter. And you actually have a conversation with a person who's homeless, and they're not a charity case, they're an actual real-life human being. Maybe it's, it's kids midweek, man. I'll tell you what, maybe you give up your time or your energy or your sanity sometimes, honestly, um, to go and serve these kids. And I got to be honest with you. These kids do not lead restful lives. They, there's very little rest in these kids' lives. And maybe you can give up your time and your 
comfort and all the rest of it so that you can show love to a kid who clearly doesn't deserve it, hasn't earned it. And you give a kid rest for a few moments in their life. Isn't it worth it? Let go of your comfort for the comfort of somebody else. Um, Sometimes this just means, um, like on a real basic level, get generous. Maybe you, maybe, maybe you just need to resolve to live more generously. That maybe you say, the truth is I love money and I love stuff. And maybe it's time for me to let go of some of the stuff that I love for the sake of, the, of rest for somebody else. Here's number five, and I think this one's the hardest one probably. Jimmy and I were just having a conversation about this last week. That in order to step across the line, invest in somebody else spiritually. And as soon as I say that, I know a bunch of you guys are saying, yeah, that's not me. Like, that's just not my thing. I'm not a, I, you know, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough. Here's the reality. The reality is, if you are following Jesus, you have what it takes to invest in somebody spiritually. Now, I'm not talking about the person next. I'm talking about you. You, if you are following Jesus, you have what it takes to invest in somebody else spiritually. And I know, I know that's hard to think because I think most of us think it's your job to bring your friend to church and it's Kellen's job and my job to invest in them spiritually. And I'm going to say no. That's just not true. At some point, as, as followers of Jesus, we have to realize that we don't have to have some seminary degree in order to invest in somebody spiritually. Here's all it can start with. A conversation that starts with this, that says, hey, um, I'm doing my best to follow Jesus. I wondered if you would like to do it alongside me. I don't even know what that looks like. Maybe we'll read something together. Maybe we'll just have conversations regularly. Maybe you'll come to church with me. I don't even know what it looks like. I'm following Jesus. Do you want to follow Jesus with me? They might be a Christian. They might not be a Christian. It's scary. I get it. It's scary. And you could get, you know, rejected on that. Or it could become something that's fantastic. But are you willing to leave the rest of your own promised land? Cross the Jordan and fight for rest for somebody else. And so this band, you guys can come up on stage because I'm about done here. Um, <clears throat> But this is, the, this is the call. And it's not a call to a New Year's resolution. Can I just say that? This is not about a resolution. I, 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 don't, I don't want, we're not going to have you like write your name on a sheet of paper and come and hand it to the pastor or anything like that. This is, it's not about a decision here. What this is really about is it, I just wanted to offer it as something that is worthy of our resolve. Here is something worthy of our resolve. And the way that Joshua calls for it, it goes like this. Be willing to leave rest in your own promised land to fight for rest for somebody else. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.